Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, Thank you guys for being so loyal. Thank you for tuning in. Even though I have been inconsistent for the last couple weeks, the uh, baseball and soccer season and the uh, diving and violin and gymnastics, it becomes somewhat overwhelming sometimes. So I do appreciate you guys being patient with me. Um, I also have a full-time job too. So, but I'm back and boy, do I have a Palmetto State Armory deal of the day for you guys. A full-size dagger with stainless non-threaded barrel with 10 17-round magazines and a bag in black for only $399.99. This is a steal The Palmetto Dagger Full Size has extreme carry cuts. It introduces game-changing ergonomics and controllability. It's made from high-quality stainless steel and advanced polymers. The pistol lives up to today's high expectations while maintaining the unmatched Palmetto State Armory value. The dagger is a feature-rich gun, even in its standard form, but it also provides a framework for further customization if you so choose to do that. It is highly compatible with many aftermarket offerings. Pick yours up today by clicking the link in the show description. Well, 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 it looks like the Wild West is making a comeback, guys. (laughs) Arizona Republicans have decided the best way to deal with border security is to just let ranchers play a real-life version of Red Dead Redemption. A bill moving through the state House of Representatives would make changes to the state's existing Castle Doctrine law, which permits Arizonans to use deadly force against people who are trespassing or breaking in to their home. Representative Justin Heap, a Mesa Republican, told the House Judiciary Committee on February 14th that his House Bill 2843 is designed to close a loophole that he claims has led to increasingly larger numbers of migrants and human traffickers moving across farm and ranch land. The bill comes as an Arizona rancher actually awaits trial after he was arrested and charged with second-degree murder and aggravated assault for killing 48-year-old Gabrielle Kuhn-Butamia. I don't fucking know. After he shot (laughs) at a group of unarmed migrants walking through his 170-acre ranch outside of Nogales. Under its provisions, 73-year-old George Allen Kelly would have been justified for allegedly killing any of the migrants. The bill expands the Castle Doctrine law by changing the law to allow deadly force to be used if the intruder is either in the shooter's residence or on his land. The law currently requires the intruder to be both on the land and in the, in, in the residence or other structure designed for habitation. Language like and 
or either. That one word can completely change the meaning of how the law is then applied, Heap said. If a farmer owns 10,000 acres of farmland, his home may be half a mile away from where he is. If he sees someone on his land, can he not approach them and remove them from his property? This is an amendment to fix that. If passed, the change of and to the word or in state law would give a much broader defense to people who use deadly force, as property would only have to satisfy some of the requirements instead of all of them. The idea with castle doctrine is you're supposed to be able to defend your house and home. This seems to broaden it to say you can shoot someone that's just on your actual property. <laughs> In committee, Representative Alex Culloden, 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 uh, who is a Republican out of Scottsdale, praised the bill for protecting people who could be accused of using excessive force in these situations. This is a great Second Amendment bill that is also protecting the rights of the accused to make sure we are taking ambiguity out of our law. The bill was approved by the State House on February 22nd by a 31 to 28 vote with Republicans in favor and Democrats opposed. It now heads to the Senate for further consideration. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this one. For me, I'm betting that if this becomes law, Arizona's border crossings are going to drop significantly and quickly. (sighs) Oh, NASA, you had one job. Land a spacecraft on the moon. Supposedly, you've done it before. But no, you had to go and crash the moon lander. NASA's new moon lander may have touched down in one piece, but the story keeps getting more embarrassing and underwhelming for the space agency. Intuitive Machines, the company that built the Odysseus lander, said in a series of updates posted on its website and on X that although the craft is online and beaming images back to Earth, its operators believe it won't be able to keep up the communications for much longer. Flight controllers intend to collect data until the lander's solar panels are no longer exposed to light. Based on Earth and Moon positioning, we believe flight controllers will continue to communicate with Odysseus until Tuesday morning. In other words, in spite of just landing a few days ago, the lander is already almost cooked. The latest piece of bad news for the mission, which was supposed to demonstrate the power of hiring independent contractors to shuttle cargo to the moon, although it fared better than the other privately built moon lander NASA launched earlier this year, Astrobotics Peregrine, which burned up in Earth's atmosphere, how ironic, before making it anywhere near the moon, Odysseus did immediately topple onto its side and its controllers hypothesize, tripping over a rock on the lunar surface. During its frenzied descent, the lander's operators also chose not to deploy its student-built camera though it did shoot and beam back some photos as it landed. Add it all up, it's not a pretty picture. NASA's two moon missions this year were supposed to showcase that private contractors could deliver goods to the lunar surface. But instead, one was completely destroyed and the other one fell over and is now dying very early. 
This is a setback for NASA. It's not the end of the world. They'll learn from their mistakes and come back for more hard stolen tax dollars to the tune of another $4.7 billion mistake. In the meantime, I'll be here watching from the sidelines, making snarky comments. Okay, so this one didn't happen yesterday, but I was yesterday years old when I learned this, so I thought I would share it with you guys too. Smithfield Corporation, the largest pork producer in the United States, is a household name when it comes to processed meats. However, Many consumers are unaware the company was purchased in 2013 by WH Foods, a $22 billion Chinese meat processing corporation. The acquisition sparked concerns about the implications of foreign control over a major player in the American food industry, as well as the environmental and social consequences of Smithfield's factory farming practices. The acquisition allowed WH Foods to expand its global presence and secure a steady supply of pork for the Chinese market, which has been affected by African swine fever and a decline in pig population. Smithfield does not disclose the exact amount of meat it exports to China, but the company sold about 38.8 million pounds of pork to the country during a few months. The acquisition of Smithfield by WH Foods raises concerns about foreign control over a significant portion of the American food supply. Similar concerns arose in the 1980s when Japanese companies began purchasing American businesses, including the iconic Rockefeller Center in New York. Critics argue that foreign ownership of critical industries can undermine national security and economic stability, you don't say. Proponents of globalization point to the economic benefits of foreign investment, including job creation, increased trade opportunities, except they're globalists and communists. Their opinion is irrelevant. In the case of Smithfield, the acquisition has expanded the company's reach in the global market and provided a steady stream of revenue from Chinese consumers. The purchase of Smithfield Corporation by WH Foods has brought attention to the environmental, social, and economic implications of foreign ownership in the American food industry. The factory farming practices employed by Smithfield have caused significant environmental damage and negatively impacted the health and quality of life of surrounding communities. These issues highlight the need for increased regulation and oversight to protect both the environment and the well-being of those affected by industry practices. Or, you know, I this is going to sound crazy, you guys. Stop letting adversarial foreign countries purchase our land, supply chains, and manufacturing. Seriously, what could go wrong with a foreign power controlling a significant portion of our food supply? I'm sure it'll be fine. Maybe this is just a clever ploy by the Chinese to get us to eat more vegetables. After all... They do have a history of playing the long game. You just see the headlines now. China's master plan, a nation of vegetarians. It seems that Mexico City is in a bit of a pickle. And by pickle, I mean a severe water crisis. But hey, who needs water when you have tequila, right? Seriously, this is actually a major issue that could have been prevented with proper water management and infrastructure. 
Mexico City is a sprawling metropolis of nearly 22 million people and one of the world's biggest cities. It's facing a severe water crisis as a tangle of problems, including geography, chaotic urban development, and leaky infrastructure. Years of abnormally low rainfall, longer dry periods, and high temperatures have added stress to a water system already straining to cope with increased demand. Authorities have been forced to introduce significant restrictions on the water pumped from the reservoirs. Politicians are downplaying any sense of crisis, but some experts say the situation has now reached such critical levels that Mexico City could be barreling towards, quote, day zero in a matter of months, where the traps run dry for huge swaths, not traps, taps, (laughs) run dry for huge swaths of the city. Densely populated Mexico City stretches out across a high-altitude lake bed, around 7,300 feet above sea level. It was built on clay-rich soil, into which it is now sinking. It's prone to earthquakes and highly vulnerable to quote-unquote climate change, if you believe that sort of thing. It's perhaps one of the last places anyone would choose to build a megacity today. The Aztecs chose this spot to build their city of Tenochtitlan. I can't ever say Tenochtitlan. Whatever. Oh, God. In 1325, when it was a series of lakes, They built on an island, expanding the city outwards, constructing networks of canals and bridges to work with the water. But when the Spanish arrived in the early 16th century, they tore down most of the city, drained the lake bed, filled in the canals, ripped out the forests. They saw water as an enemy to overcome for the city to thrive. Their decision paved, no pun intended, the way for many of Mexico City's modern problems. Wetlands and rivers have been replaced with concrete and asphalt. In the rainy season, it floods. In the dry season, it's parched. What? Concrete jungles are bad ideas? Who'd have thunk it? Around 60% of Mexico City's water comes from its underground aquifer, But this has been so over-extracted, the city is sinking at a frightening rate, around 20 inches a year, according to recent research. The aquifer is not being replenished anywhere near fast enough. The rainwater rolls off the city's hard, impermeable surfaces rather than sinking into the ground. The rest of the city's water is pumped vast distances uphill from sources outside the city in an incredibly inefficient process, during around which 40% of the water is lost through leaks. Around 60% of Mexico is experiencing moderate to exceptional drought, according to a February report. Nearly 90% of Mexico City is in a severe drought, and it's said to get worse with the start of the rainy season still months away. Natural climate variability heavily affects this part of Mexico. Three years of La Nina brought drought to the region, and then the arrival of El Nino last year helped deliver a painfully short rainy season that failed to replenish the reservoirs. The crisis has set up a fierce debate about whether the city will reach a day zero. 
where the Kutsamala system falls to such low levels that it will be unable to provide any water to the city's residents. Local media widely reported in early February that an official from a branch of Konagua said that without significant rain, day zero could arrive as early as June 26th, but authorities have since sought to assure residences, residents, man, I was going to town on these typos, there will be no day zero. In a press conference on February 14th, the Mexican president, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, said that work was underway to address the water problems. Mexico City's Mayor Marti Batres Guadarrama said in a recent press conference that reports of Day Zero were fake news spread by political opponents. Many experts, however, warn of a spiraling crisis. Mexico City could run out of water before the rainy season arrives if it carries on using it in the same way. It's probable that we will face a day zero, Sosa Rodriguez said. In the meantime, tensions are rising as some residents are forced to cope with shortages while others, often in the wealthier enclaves, remain mostly unaffected. There is a clear, unequal access to water in the city and this is related to people's income. While day zero might not yet be here for the whole of Mexico City, Some neighborhoods have been grappling with it for years. Amanda Martinez, a resident of the city's Tlalpan, I don't know how to say this. Some of these names are just something. Said that for people here, water shortages are nothing new. She and her family often have to pay more than $100 a tank of water from one of the city's water trucks, but it's getting worse. Sometimes more than two weeks can go by without water and she fears what may be coming. I don't think anyone's prepared. I would say you're probably right. In what is not at all a surprising revelation, Gen Z is more likely to call in sick than Gen Xers thanks to a mental health crisis turbocharged by young women. The stresses of adapting to work after college has been a universal struggle for years, marred by new routines, unsatisfying jobs, the loss of your social life. But new research suggests it's increasingly becoming a generational and gender-based struggle. A troubling rise in the number of young people in the United Kingdom reporting mental health difficulties like depression and anxiety means they are now more likely to call in sick than people 20 years their senior. Research from the RF finds that more than a third of people aged between 18 and 24 suffer from what is described as, quote, common mental disorder, or CMD. This includes things like depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. The figure is well above 24% of young people in 2000 who live with a CMD. That jump has been turbocharged by a mental health crisis among women. Two out of five women in the UK are likely to report a CMD compared with only a quarter of men. I mean, that doesn't mean men aren't going through it, they just don't verbalize it. 
While there are theories about the causes of this surge from the loss of public services to the stigma around talking about mental health or, and again, hear me out because it's going to be wild, women have turned away from the sole purpose for their existence, which is the furtherance of the species. It's leaving them feeling physically and mentally ill because they're going against nature. What can't be debated is the real-world impacts of increasing instances of poor mental health well-being. A communist airman just self-immolated in front of the Jewish embassy in Washington, D.C. while screaming, Free Palestine. I'd say there's a little to no room left for debate as well. The most worrying part of the trend for policymakers is that it is creating previously unheard of generational dynamics. For example, young people are now more likely to be off work with illness than people who are 20 years older than them. It's also impacting the United Kingdom's economy. Research from health insurer Vitality found that Gen X and millennial workers were missing the equivalent of one day of work every week due to poor mental health. Vitality estimated this is costing the economy $176 billion a year. It's fucking wild. Mind-blowing. A state appeals court ruled that a New York law that would allow non-citizens to vote in local elections is unconstitutional. We determined that this local law was enacted in violation of the New York State Constitution and Municipal Home Rule Law and thus must be declared null and void, read the Wednesday ruling from Paul Wooten an Associate Justice of the Appellate Division for the Second Judicial Department in New York. Mayor Eric Adams' administration has been defending the law and appealed a lower court's ruling against it. A spokesperson didn't immediately respond when asked if City Hall planned to appeal the highest court ruling. The 2022 law has not yet gone into effect since it faced immediate legal challenges, but it sought to let green card holders and other people living in New York City with federal work authorization to vote in local elections for offices including mayor and city council. Applying to some 800,000 new eligible voters in a city of 8.5 million, championed by progressive Democrats supporters, and the Our City, Our Vote bill would make politics more representative, and the city more inclusive for immigrants. Opponents, mostly Republicans, said that it would turn into a logistical nightmare leading to voter fraud, and that Democrats only wanted to shore up their numbers. In a 3-1 ruling, the appellate court agreed the clause in the state constitution that, quote, every citizen shall be entitled to vote, refers exclusively Two United States citizens, and the court ruled that a provision of the state municipal home rule law requires changes to elections to be passed by voter referendum rather than a local legislature. While we're still reviewing the decision and its impacts on immigrants and New Yorkers, the lawsuit remains another shameful attempt by xenophobic Republicans who would disenfranchise residents rather than promote a more inclusive 
and participatory democracy. That is New York IC, NWIC, I don't know what that is, or NYIC. Executive Director Murad Awade said in a statement, Immigrant New Yorkers deserve a stay. I cannot talk today, you guys. Deserve a say in how their local government functions and spends their tax money. And we remain committed to ensuring the expansion of voter rights. Non-citizen voting is still extremely rare in the United States, but there is a growing movement to legalize it. Washington, D.C. overcame opposition from congressional Republicans to allow non-citizens to vote, but the city's law has been challenged in court. A San Francisco court upheld a law in 2022-23 allowing certain non-citizens to vote in school board elections. And three Vermont cities, including Burlington, recently allowed legal residents to vote in local elections. If you want to participate in the election, become a citizen. I don't know why that's so hard to understand. President Biden is set to visit the border on Thursday, the same day as former President Trump. Biden is expected to travel to Brownsville, Texas, to meet with U.S. Border Patrol agents, law enforcement, and local leaders. That same day, Trump is to deliver remarks in Eagle Pass, Texas. Brownsville and Eagle Pass are about 325 miles, or about a 5-hour, 20-minute drive apart. Biden is expected to use his trip to talk about the importance of passing the Senate's bipartisan border security agreement, the White House official said, adding that the president will reiterate his calls for congressional Republicans to stop playing politics and to provide the funding needed for additional U.S. Border Patrol agents, more asylum officers, fentanyl detection technology, and more. According to a Fox News analysis published last week, Nearly 7.3 million migrants are known to have illegally crossed the southwest border since Joe Biden took office. That number is greater than the population of 36 individual states. It comes from U.S. uh, Border Protection, which has already reported 961,537 border encounters in the current fiscal year, which runs from October through September. If the current pace of illegal encounters, a number that by itself exceeds the population of New Mexico, the total number of Southwest land border encounters since Biden assumed office is 7,298,486. U.S. Customs and Border Protection sources told Fox News this month that the majority of illegal crossings are shifting from Texas to Arizona and California, where there is less deterrence. (laughs) Not for long if ranchers can start shooting them being on their property. That is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I really appreciate you guys. 
if I can ask for anything, likes, shares, subscribes, all of that is good. But what I could really use is for you guys to go out and do a review uh, on Spotify or iTunes. That is how uh, the algorithm triggers for my show to appear for more people. So please, if you have the time and you enjoyed the show, please go do a review on iTunes or Spotify for me. That is all I have for today. You guys take care and I will hopefully see you tomorrow. We'll see how the schedule looks. Love you. You guys have a great night. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.